Christchurch, New Malden, Sunday the 13th of March 2022, 9.30 service. Katie Lofman speaking in the series, Jesus Christ, the Son of David, the Son of David and the Canaanite woman. Good morning. How often have you seen somebody and said, oh, he's just like his father? Or maybe people have said that about you. My mum said it about me once and she didn't mean it as a compliment. Well, can we say that about Jesus? And if so, who do we mean when we talk about Jesus' father? Well, several times in the Gospels, people called Jesus the son of David. David was his ancestral father. So can we see David in Jesus? Is he just like his father? Well, one way to find out is to see who was calling him that and try to work out what it was that they saw in him that made them say that. In the reading that Stephen read, the person saying it was a Canaanite woman with a demon-possessed daughter. I wonder what made her give Jesus that name. She wasn't an Israelite. She was a Gentile living in an area that wasn't fully part of Israel. And she knew who Jesus was, the son of David, not just the descendant of Israel's most famous king, but the anointed one, the Messiah. So she decided to take her daughter to him for healing. The poor girl was suffering from this evil spirit, but her mother knew that Jesus could drive out the evil and rescue her. That's why they both came to him. And this woman impressed Jesus with her faith. First of all, the disciples tried to turn her away, but she didn't give up. Then, horror of horrors, Jesus said no. He said, I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. It's not right to give the children's bread to the dogs. Charming. But she didn't even give up then. She talked to Jesus and she persuaded him to heal her daughter. She said, but even the dogs under the table eat the scraps that the children drop. And it was only then, because of her perseverance and her faith, that Jesus healed the girl right there. How often do we feel that our prayers are like that? God doesn't always answer our prayers straight away. He wants us to ask and he wants us to persevere in prayer for the things that we need. Ideally, that persevering will help us to evolve and refine our prayers as they gradually come more into line with God's will. That process of asking and reflecting and then asking again makes us listen to God and we try to hear, as we try and hear what he wants for us. And through that process we grow and we make ourselves available to God to do something in our lives that will glorify him, even beyond satisfying our immediate needs, just as he did with that woman and her daughter. Because Jesus didn't stay yes straight away, they had this interesting conversation. And it's a conversation which, when we think it through, ends up telling us a lot about Jesus. She wanted him to cast out the evil spirit from her daughter, but the way Matthew has written down the events, we see Jesus showing that he came to, to, to cast out all evil, 
not just individual spirits. He also gives a coded message that he will bring not only this Gentile Canaanite woman and her daughter into his kingdom, but that the whole world will be gathered in to him. So how do we work that one out? Well, there's a big clue in the place where she lived, Tyre and Sidon, just over the border from Galilee. When God gave the Israelites the promised land, the Bible lists seven pagan tribes or people who were already living in the area. The Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, the Jebusites, and the Amalekites. And they're collectively known as the Canaanites. And when Joshua led the Israelites into the promised land, they had to move these people on in order to take over the land and claim it for God. And Tyre and Sidon had originally been part of the land that was promised to Abraham. But when the Israelites got there, they didn't manage to conquer them. And so the two towns were never actually incorporated into the kingdom of Israel. They got left out of the promised land. If these places weren't part of Israel, why did Jesus go there to teach? Especially as he says explicitly that he's come primarily for the Jews. But Tyre and Sidon have this strange status of being promised but not claimed. So Jesus sought them out and gave them a second chance to come in. That's why he visited them in Matthew 15. He was giving them an early opportunity to not be left out again, to be restored to their rightful place as part of his kingdom. He was putting right something that Israel messed up right at the start, restoring his people and gathering in those who were missing. Not through a show of force, but through his love. And the compassion expressed in his healings and the personal encounters. Like David the shepherd boy, he was searching for the lost sheep. And like David the shepherd king, he was establishing his rule over his rightful kingdom. And it seems that it worked as well. People came to Jesus from anywhere. Back in the Old Testament, the people of Tyre and Sidon used to worship a goddess called Asherah. And they were not very good neighbours to Israel. They were so bad that both Jeremiah and Ezekiel pronounced God's judgement on them for their idolatry and for being enemies of Israel. But maybe things can change. In Matthew 11, Jesus was in despair over the lack of faith that he sees in his own people, the Jews. He's done miracles in lots of towns, but people haven't believed in him and they haven't changed their ways. He says if those miracles had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes, much like the equally pagan town of Nineveh that got Jonah so angry. He even says that on the day of judgment, it would, be even, it would even be more bearable for Tyre and Sidon than for his own people who haven't listened. And that's a harsh warning against complacency. And it's quite an extreme thing to say because of those judgments from Jeremiah and Ezekiel. But all Jesus wants is for his people to change their ways and turn to him. And that goes for us as well. We mustn't ignore those kind of warnings. 
But the challenge is that even if a place as bad as that can have a change of heart when they hear about Jesus, then surely God's own people should be showing so much more faith. But it offers hope, the hope that even a place as bad as that can have a change of heart. And it's that principle that underpins the work of the church. Anyone can come to Jesus and anyone can change. We don't have to be good enough to come to him. We just have to come. We see how the presence of Jesus changes hearts and changes lives when Jesus goes to Tyre and Sidon in Matthew 15. The woman kneels at Jesus' feet and Jesus commends her for her life-changing faith. She knows that even the scraps and crumbs from Jesus that fall from the Israelites' table are worth having and she'll settle for that for the healing of her daughter. Jesus came to rescue his children, the Jews, from the oppression of evil. And here, he's let a scrap of that rescue fall from their table to this Canaanite daughter, who's under the table like the family dog. This image of scraps comes up again in the very next passage. After saving this girl from her evil spirit, Jesus goes back to Galilee and a great crowd of disabled people and ill people come to him for healing. Eventually, it's mealtime, and Jesus wants to feed them as well. But all they have is seven loaves and a few fish. But Jesus gives thanks, and he breaks the bread, and he gives it to the disciples to give out. And everybody has plenty to eat. And afterwards, the disciples collect seven basketfuls of scraps and leftovers. This is not a coincidence. We've just come from Tyre and Sidon, where a Canaanite woman was talking about getting scraps from the children's table. To this, a miracle done with seven loaves and seven basketfuls of scraps gathered in. These two events are together for a reason, and it gives us a massive clue. Those seven loaves represent the seven original nations now being used by Jesus to bless the crowd, just as God uses his children to bless the world. And the seven baskets of leftovers show that Jesus wants to gather even those seven rejected nations into his kingdom. But this time, instead of driving out the indigenous tribes with their pagan gods, He's driving out evil. And it won't stop at single evil spirits from individuals. Ultimately, he's getting rid of evil itself in his victory on the cross. The Jews wanted their Messiah to liberate them from the Romans, and we need him to liberate the Ukraine from Russia today. But Jesus shows us a bigger picture. It's not those evil oppressors like Russia or the Romans who are the enemy. It's evil itself, which drives it all. And only Jesus can liberate the world from that. It's not until that defeat is complete that war and oppression and illness and disability and hunger will finally be driven out of the world. But we have a taster in the miracles that Jesus performed. And that's exactly what he will do. He drove out that Canaanite girl's evil spirit to give us an inkling of his plan to get rid of evil 
and he fed the hungry people in Galilee to show that he can drive out hunger too. He healed thousands of people that day and demonstrated that his rule will drive out all suffering. Those miracles here in the physical world lay the foundation for God's much bigger plan, which is to put an end to all evil, whether that's illness, hunger, or spiritual oppression. In his ultimate kingdom, everything will be redeemed and restored. Not just Israel, not just a Canaanite girl, not even just the Gentile nations that Israel displaced, but the whole world and all creation, including, of course, us. We say in the communion service that we are not worthy to gather up the crumbs under God's table. But just as we see here, his nature is always to have mercy. And he welcomes us in and restores us, just as he did when he was on earth. So perhaps it was this that those suffering people recognised in Jesus when they called him the son of David. They recognised their need for restoration. And deep down, they recognised that the Messiah is all about restoration, putting things right, redeeming what was lost. The reign of King David restored Israel spiritually after the erratic reign of Saul. Saul had lost God's favour, whereas God promised never to abandon David. He gave the kingdom a strong spiritual head. David restored peace in the country after a long period of attacks by various enemies. And David restored the kingdom into a unified whole. After it had been cut in two, he brought Israel and Judah together as one kingdom. As David's son, Jesus brings the same restoration. He brings spiritual restoration because he rules with justice and righteousness and he restores us, his people. He brings peace because he's defeated the ultimate enemy on the cross. And he restores wholeness and unity, unity between us and God, unity with each other, and the unity of the whole world brought together under one rightful king. The other thing that those people crying out to Jesus, son of David, may have had in mind is the eternalness of Jesus. God's promise to David in 2 Samuel chapter 7 is that David's anointed son would be a king forever on an everlasting throne. And that means by definition that he defies death. Death and decay go together and you can't have eternal life without health. So if Jesus is the eternal king who will rule forever, then it follows that he can bring health. Peter explains this in his sermon on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. Verse 31 says, Seeing what was to come, David spoke of the resurrection of the Messiah, that he was not abandoned to the realm of the dead, nor did his body see decay. God has raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of it. For Peter, Jesus' resurrection proves that he is the one David was talking about, the Messiah. And it proves that those suffering people, like the Canaanite woman, were right to call out to Jesus for healing. I want to end with some words that King David said to a priest escaping from the wrath of Saul in 1 Samuel chapter 22. 
Saul had, Saul had had all the priests of Nob killed, and one man, Abiathar, escaped, and he ran to David's camp in distress. David said, stay with me, don't be afraid. The man who wants to kill you is trying to kill me too. You will be safe with me. And Jesus says the same to us. If we stick with him, we don't need to be afraid because the evil that is causing us to suffer is the same evil that tried to kill Jesus. It didn't succeed. We're safe as long as we're with Jesus, the son of David. <laughs>